2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
0: Hi, I'm Ben Kay, and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. I'm joined by Hugo Monya for a look ahead to the final round of Aviva Premiership Action before we all head off to the continent for our European adventures. Got loads to get stuck into on the pod today, but here's a sneak peek of what else is coming up. Danny Cipriani was our star guest for the live
1: studio show with Beefs. Well, when I was at fullback, Sean gave me two pieces of advice, and it was either pass early or run hard, and it was uh, pretty simple. But you know, at fullback, those are the type of things you have to do, and, and you know, to keep my head nice and straight and, and square. And uh, you know, that was what I got from him at that time.
3: And I caught up with my mate Danny Care for a bit of daddy daycare. Did you get it? kind of weren't really aware at the time of his first try, but then afterwards someone said, oh, you know, that's the first try in European Champions Cup history. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I think I was offside, to be honest. I got, I got, I got away
4: with it. So obviously the big news this week is uh, Carl Sinclair getting banned for seven weeks would be hugely disappointing, not just to him, but for England and Harlequins. What's your reaction to the news?
0: It's different. I've seen the clip and, you know, Kyle has admitted that he has made contact with uh, Patterson's face. So, you know, we know that's the truth. We can see it on the video. What I haven't liked about it is the fact that all the media outlets, everyone seems to say, well, he's been done for gouging. He's admitted he's gouged. He hasn't done that. He's, He's admitted the charge that he was cited for, which is... Illegal contact with the eye or the eye area. Now, yeah. that is a difference because <laughs> yeah. there's an element of intent on there. So at risk of doing the same thing and trying to put words into his mouth, we've all been in situations where people are trying to annoy you and he definitely pulls the head guard off first. He probably leaves yeah. his hand in there, gives him a rough... I don't think he's intentionally trying no. to injure and stick his eye in. And I don't like the word gouging because... It's a bit like like the word stabbing. You either do it or you don't, and you're trying to put your hand right in. I don't think he has done that.
4: Um, no, because gouging is sticking your finger in someone's eye socket and yeah. trying to rip your eyeball out, which yeah. and he clearly doesn't do. Um, I know Kyle, and I know he's definitely got a media perception of being this hothead, and at times he is. He really is, and I guess in that incident he's trying to instigate a reaction from Mike Patterson. I guess what probably lets him down is a little bit of history because it was only two weeks ago where Joe Marler's doing this to James Haskell and he got a retrospective yellow card. So we've seen incidents, we've done enough games where we've seen second rows putting their arms through malls, trying to just find something to, to get get hold of. But I guess they're trying to affect the ball. So I guess in, in many ways you can understand their frustration where they get a yellow or red for getting an accidental finger in the eye, or something like that. With Carl, he's not trying to affect the ball. No. He's just trying to upset the player. It is disappointed for him that his hands have gone from the head guard area into the eye area. Yeah. Um, and I think seven weeks, I think it's fair enough. I, I think it's fair I enough. Think but, it's, but you're I absolutely think, no, right. I think it's on terms on. Of the think not trying to
0: condone yeah. what he's yeah, done yeah, of at all. and I'm not trying to say that he's not been very silly. It's a bit... You know, it's one of those things where you go, oh, seven weeks. You know, what's that? Well, actually, when you are Harlequins and you're running out oh of players, gosh, yeah. you can't pull a fly half into play tight head like yep. you can pull a fly half in to play centre or fullback. Yep. They are very limited resources. That is going to hurt Harlequins massively. Now, you know, had it been a deliberate act, yes, we should be starting at twelve weeks. And, and by deliberate, I mean deliberately trying to injure yep. the bloke. He's been. Um, really silly there, hasn't he? Yeah. He, he's, he's he's cost his team massively by trying to annoy someone. Yeah. And he, I'm pretty sure he'll learn a lesson from that because he, he's going to have to walk around the training ground feeling dr- like he's let his teammates down.
4: Yeah. I think that's probably going to be his big frustration. I spoke to him. In fact, we covered the game. It was the same week where he got dropped from the England training squad. And I just said to Carl, in fact it was before Leicester game. So Carl, when you get on the pitch, keep your head, mate. Just keep everything that you do positive. So Ed will be monitoring closer than he would normally have done to see how he responds and reacts. This is clearly not going to help his cause. Carl is a guy that is in love with rugby. That's all he that's all he lives for. He goes home, he watches YouTube clips of the best players, analyses training. In fact he coached a rugby team on Tuesday and Thursday. He loves the game. So for him to have had A Saturday, 3pm, taken away from him for the next seven weeks will frustrate the life out of him, especially in a team which, hey, they're not top of the league. They're not winning lots of games. Um, They're not flying high. They've got loads of injuries. He has to burden all that frustration of not just his teammates, but all the internal frustration which he has. And he's now just got to focus all of that energy into something positive and be back even better for when he returns.
0: I, I do think we need to stamp this out of the game excuse yep. pun for foul play but <laughs> we do need to stamp it out of the game but it is different to actually trying to punish someone for trying to injure someone yep. and going look this isn't acceptable if you touch the eye area you are likely to get a seven week ban whether you're meaning to hurt someone or not i think it's it's about right the one person i do maybe feel slightly for is chris ashton because he might be sitting at oh, home going gosh. well hang on what's so different to what i did i wasn't trying to injure a bloke either um, so, yeah, we'll we'll see how that pans out. But certainly, with Harlequin's injury list, that's a big blow for them. And then the other, <laughs> <laughs> slightly more light-hearted, though, actually, should we be saying light-hearted, man gets mauled by a lion. But Scott Baldwin, the most ridiculous thing his coach, Steve Tandy, has ever heard one of his players doing. What was he thinking? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if Scott Baldwin's ever
4: perhaps watched a david attenborough documentary seen what lions do they are called the king of the jungle for a pretty decent reason they're ferocious animals they can weigh up to 300 kgs and he's petting it like he would you know molly the cat at home it's it's, it's unbelievable um i remember we went to a lion sanctuary uh, when we went on tour in a little while ago south africa and i was so scared to get in the cage of this thing let alone start whacking it around his mouth he just offered his hand to
0: this lion it's it's when the lion starts looking up the lion almost can't believe it yeah lunch has come excellent it's unreal but absolutely one of the strangest things I have I just I can't believe it I I, I mean I, I loved the way that his coach started trying to sort of Say, so, well, it wasn't the lion's fault. Though. Yeah,
4: too <laughs> right. And the lads, you can hear on the VT oh, on the cameras, like, did you did you did, you, make, did you record Beedle. it? <laughs> Let's
0: get to two things about that. Your mate's just had his hand bitten by a lion, and you're thinking whether you'll get two hundred and fifty <laughs> quid. And the other thing, it's just been proven that oh, the Welsh TV is so far behind, they've still got Jeremy Beadle presenting. <laughs> you you you've been I didn't even think about that. But I guess we are laughing because he's
4: actually fine. Oh, yeah. what's, the, what's,
0: what's the weirdest injury that any of your teammates or you've ever had that's kept you out
4: oh jeez certainly nothing that would compete with that I remember going around to a pal's house um, he had a newborn baby and I picked up his baby we had a real tough training session I picked up the baby and I tore my hamstring 8 centimetres just by picking up this baby so I must have been really tired and whatnot. but yeah ring Ringing the coach. I remember another time, Howell Luscombe. So uh, as Baxter, you can imagine on a Tuesday, you guys are doing more than all the rest of it. And just before we go into training, we're practicing how far we can do drop goals. From. Howell Luscombe, ex-well centre Harlequins, is practiced a drop goal from 60 metres and he's pulled his hamstring like really bad. Obviously can't tell the coach he's done it by doing a drop goal. So we had to wait till we got into training and he's gone down with a sniper as we're practicing rucking practice. He was out for 12 weeks, tore his hamstring off the bone. <laughs> Poor lad. I what had, about you?
0: I, had, uh, I didn't miss a game because I wasn't allowed to and I was too embarrassed, but I, I was a couple of days before a game doing a bit of DIY and uh, had the old Stanley knife out trying to cut uh, a bit of that electrical tubing that you put, yeah. the, put the wires in outside and slipped and put a few stitches in. I had to have a few stitches, so I had to <laughs> race around to the doctor to get him to stitch me up. But Fortunately, I was, fortunately it was in... Well, I didn't need my hands much so there wasn't much use <laughs> anyway, so uh, that was okay. But the, the worst one was Premiership final uh, the cool. Thursday before. We're obviously all G'd up and Daryl Gibson decides he was going to finish off putting the um, paving stones on his patio, drops one of them on his feet, tries to go out and warm up and uh, obviously it was no good. So I'm he missed the Premiership aware. final because he dropped a paving slab on his foot the week of the Premiership final.
4: Pay someone to do it.
0: Right, injured Wasp fly-half Danny Cipriani put his time off to good use by joining Ugo, Bafes, and I in the studio for a live interview. Here's the best bits from our chat.
5: Uh, Danny, brilliant to have you here. Fantastic. I'm um, quite clearly incapacitated at the moment. Just
1: give us an update on how the knee's coming on. Yeah, it's coming well. It's uh, pretty slow the first couple of weeks uh of a of rehab, especially with a knee injury, but you know, slowly get into it now and, and things start to build nicely uh, and I've got the faith in the, the Wasp medical team. Great stuff. We're absolutely thrilled that you're here. Now,
5: of course, we are live on Facebook and Twitter, so if you do have any questions for Danny, then please send them through. Ugo, you're in charge of this. What have we got? That's it, as you can up.
4: imagine, with a great man in today. We've had plenty of questions in, so we're going to get through them here. The first one's from Jacob Basford. Who's the best fly half you've played against and why, Danny?
1: Um, I've been very fortunate to play against a lot of great fly halves. Probably have to say Dan Carter. Uh, obviously, uh, his, uh, you know what he's done over his career is um, unheralded and I think... Uh, He's uh, moved to France, and he, even though he's a bit older now, his experience is, is coming through, and obviously he's probably the best 10 I've played against.
0: I've got a question. When, when you first broke into the Wasp side, a long time ago now, did you always see yourself as, as a 10 playing fullback, because that was where they were p- positioning you, or, or did you think that actually I might end up at fullback for the rest of my career?
1: No, 10, 10 was always the, the, the goal, um, but Sean, uh, Sean Edwards at the time we had Alex King, who was a very experienced 10, who he was the, the ultimate game manage, mm. manager. And, you know, he said to me, because I've got the pace and, and the, the youth on my side from fullback, I can sit back and watch what he does and how he manages the game and the things that I could learn from him, you know, really helped me throughout my whole career. So mm. it was a great opportunity for me to spend a season at fullback and really learn from him. And then the following season, I moved to 10 and uh, just been there ever since. And that youth thing is, is
5: the key thing, isn't it? When you look at those, those images we just saw... Winning a European title in 2008, so coming up for 10 years ago. I think people forget how young you were when you started. Do you sometimes have to pinch yourself and think, I've been in this game a long time now?
1: Yeah, it it, it does creep up on you. Uh, You know, being 29 now, and my 30th birthday is coming up soon. Uh, I think with age, the experience of playing rugby, you know, I'm enjoying my rugby even more now because I've got an even more important role as a fly half. I guess I'm becoming that Alex King type. Fly half as you are. You try and manage. You try and mentor the younger players. Try and bring bring through a squad. And I'm really enjoying that challenge at the minute.
4: Well, you said you've been in the game a long time, and you'd have had lots of decent advice. So, from at Thompson one four zero two nine eight nine
0: three. That don't make it easy. <laughs> <laughs> Real catchy. catchy. Yeah. What's
4: the best bit of advice you've been given?
1: Uh, well, when I was at fullback, uh, Sean gave me two pieces of advice, and it was either pass early or run hard. And it was a uh, pretty simple, but you know, at fullback. Those are the type of things you have to do, and, and you know, to keep my head nice and straight and, and square. And uh, you know, that was what I got from him at that time.
4: We've done all right off the back. Have we got another really good one from at Mark Five Eight N? Don't know where these are coming from. But what's the most outrageous piece of skill that you've executed on a rugby pitch? Uh,
1: I, I don't know really, because I guess it's just part and parcel of the game. There's nothing too outrageous. It's more probably in the warm up. I like to mess about a bit with the ball and get my eye in and do a few kick-ups and things like that. And. I guess that's a... Is
4: that you just showboating or is that you actually trying to just, get, just, just get to a relax. feel for the
1: ball? I think before the, in the warm-up when the cameras aren't on you, everything's not going, you know, just to relax. You go out there, people have got different routines, different things, and I like to practice my first touch when I'm kicking with Jimmy at the beginning of the game.
0: Well, that, that length of the trail uh, field try, was it Northampton at Franklin's Gardens uh, last yeah, yeah, year yeah. when
1: yeah. you ended up giving it to Jimmy Gopper, didn't you?
0: you? You made that chip, but it's from your own line. Was... Was there any moment where you've gone, this better come off, or the forwards are going to give me (laughs) a hell of a kicking here? Or did you just know that the
1: space was there and you might as well go from anywhere on the pitch? I think when you make those decisions, it's it's how you execute and the conviction you go through with it. Uh, I saw the space was there um, and obviously with the defenders on on the short side and the fullback being so deep, Mm. often the the, the space is just that 10-metre period, that area just um, behind the defensive line and... It was either that or run at George North, so I thought that it all, <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> little was going to happen. Wise Wise.
5: What, what, what about the, um, the different messages that you're given? Because you know, that trial that Ben's mentioning there, you're just going for it. You're playing your game. But when you look at the England managers, England coaches that have been responsible for your international career, there have been a few and, and the message has changed. How difficult is it to adapt
1: to what each man wants you to do? I think that's a, a big difference when a coach does come in because they've got their own philosophy and it's about adapting and playing with that. You know, I was um, very lucky to have Brian Ashton, who coached me in Nash Academy at 15, and he eventually gave me my England debut. Uh, so he knew me very well and, and how I played. And, you know, his messages were very similar to the to the classroom lessons that we had, you know, at 15, 16, 17 when, when I was younger and moving forward. And then obviously things changed slightly with the with the coaches coming in and, you know, with with, with the youth that... That's what you don't really have, is that experience to keep adapting to the man management, to the, to the coaches. And that's something, as you get older, you, you learn to do. And, you know, going to Steve Diamond and going to Sale and things like that is a very different character to a lot of coaches in, in rugby. But, you know, I've got a great relationship with him. And that was something which, you know, I, I developed as you get older and as everyone does as they mature. We've got a couple more questions from Twitter,
4: actually. And the first two kind of relate to themselves. So what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? And I guess the second one... With, uh, with Marcus Smith. He is that 18-year-old kid making his way in the Premiership. Obviously started really well. What advice would you give Marcus Smith and what would you perhaps change at 18 for yourself?
1: To, to Marcus Smith, I think he's got great um, role models and, and people to listen to in Nick Evans, uh, Mark Mapletoft, who obviously you know both played a lot of rugby in the Northern and Southern Hemisphere. So I think he's got a lot of uh, experience to, to, to lean upon. Uh, so they'll be giving him all the advice that he needs and you know, going out there and enjoying himself and understanding that. You know, he's got to try and, you know, build the team 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 forward. I know
4: you're a lover of all sports, football being one of them. You would rated yourself, or still rate yourself, as a footballer. Um, but, rug, oh, sorry, boxing's another favourite of you, so let's go. Edward Hale, this off Facebook. Would you prefer to go up against Mayweather or McGregor? Who were you backing in that fight, by the way?
1: Mayweather all day. He's the greatest boxer of, of, of my generation of, of being around. And obviously Conor is a, a fantastic fighter as well, but... When it comes to, you know, the, the talent and, and the, the outrageous ability, Floyd Mayweather's got it.
4: OK, great. Another real pertinent question from Ellen War Facebook. What's your favourite flavour of crisps?
1: At the minute, <laughs> it'd have to be thai, thai... Is it Thai sweet chilli? Thai um, sweet fle- See, chili. that is a sign <laughs> of the times, isn't it? Thai sweet chilli. <laughs> so oh, exotic. put it in a sandwich, it's lovely.
5: <laughs> salt vinegar. <laughs> yeah. Chris, you don't remember where you just had to pull the... You got the little sachet of salt and had to make up your own salt.
1: No, I, I wasn't born for that. Gee. Ridiculous.
5: Ben's far away.
2: So you went out to Australia. How was your time out there and your life experience?
1: Yeah, for me, it was, it was a great life experience. It was an opportunity to go away. Uh, it was a time in my career when I just felt like I, I wanted to move away from England for a bit because it just seemed a, a bit of a bubble and a bit too much for me. Um, so I went away and, you know, it was almost like a, a, a paid gap year for me, to be honest. But I, I learned a lot in terms of you know, playing in a different uh, culture, you know, I met a lot of great people along the way. And, th- and there's people, there's friends and family that I'm still very close to to, to nowadays. So it was, uh, it was something I'd highly recommend. Perhaps in hindsight, I would have done one season, but, you know, I enjoyed my two years out there. Great question, Ben. Rob, uh, Ben, can I just say that was outstanding. You actually acted it out as though you just
5: slumped against the bar, yeah. asking <laughs> <it> a <the> question, <laughs> just... <laughs> Rob, far away, you've got your question.
6: Um, hi. It's, I've been, it's been noticed that in on some games you wear a scrum cap, whereas in others you don't. I know you wore it early in your career. Is there any reason why?
1: Well, I started wearing it because when I was 17, I had a, quite a bad concussion where I had bleeding on my brain and I couldn't do anything for five months. And then the doctor recommended I started wearing a scrum hat. So from sort of 18 onwards, I was wearing it. Moved to Australia. My first pre-season game was against Tonga and the heat was... <laughs> <it> <laughs> you wear a
4: scrum cap against Togga. Well, do you know what?
1: <laughs> I, t- I took it off because the heat was, was like, so blazing hot. Um, it was almost unbearable, and I was trying to, like, focus and make calls, and it, it, was, it was too hot, so I ended up taking it off, got the confidence, and, you know, started playing without it. And last season I put it on because I had a, a mild concussion and, and it was a bit cold, so it was covering my ears.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
4: wasps unbelievable home record the last couple of years harlequins went down there a couple of weeks ago beat them bath went there just at the weekend and beat them too but it's not just their home form the away waveforms not been great they don't seem to be the table charting team as they were last year what do you put it down to
0: it just proves doesn't it that you get on a roll you get on a roll of winning and your confidence is high and everything you you touch turns to gold And then you have a break like the end of the season or something happens and suddenly just that confidence where no one can put their finger on why it's not clicking for them this year. And what's really interesting is as as soon as that starts to happen, you start looking around for, well, what are the reasons? Yeah, They've got a few injuries and, you know, uh, Dye Young's been quite vocal this week about the fact that, well, is this squad big enough? and but last year, when when things are going well, you just you, you just get on with it, and, yep. and it, it's it's very very difficult. I think you know that that one of the problems Wasps have is their successful style of play involves things clicking. Whereas if you think about sort of maybe Exeter or Saracens, where they've been able to ride tough parts in a season before, is the fact they've been able to go to that route one game of extra have of pick and go and just start grinding out a few victories I can't remember saying our Wasps ground out any victories last year because they didn't need to but that's probably the area of the game that they're thinking well that's we need to now go back to maybe we're not going to run in as many tries as as, as we had have, have done last year but We need to sort of build on something. And then once we've got that winning momentum back, then we can start opening the game up.
4: Momentum, massive in in sports. You know, obviously it fosters confidence and you're right about their attack. There's so many moving parts to it that if your confidence isn't quite there, your timing might just be off just a little bit. That tip-on may not be there or that mistake happens. Jimmy Gophoff at the weekend, a couple of real uncharacteristic errors. So I think for their attack to function, they need to be confident but as well as that, their forward pack, they're just, I don't know, for me, I've, I think they've been overpowered. In the, in the bad losses they've had, especially Bath and Quinns, they've been beaten up on both occasions. And that's, that's probably the biggest concern. I also think Cipriani's a huge loss. I think he really is. He was quite vocal at the start of the season, said, you know, he'll be better this year for it. It's the second season into it. And when their attack goes goes really well, Danny's always at the heartbeat of it. There's not many players like him that can attack the gain line with the accuracy, with the pace, with the skill, with the passing under pressure, which he does. You take him out of it, and all of a sudden, what used to be very square and very slick starting to look quite lateral just because you've lost 10 20% of pace from the starting point of an attack move. Um, defending against Wasps, I was under pressure straight away from nine. Once the ball got into ten's hands, I don't feel that anymore with Jimmy Goff. He's a great player, player of the season last year, um, can control a game, he's a wonderful goal kicker. But with ball in hand, he's just not like Danny. And that's not a slight on him. You can say that for a lot of 10's in the Prem.
0: And I guess the, the, the real challenge that Danny faces is when he comes back, every, there'll be so much pressure yeah. on him to put it right yeah. and do some of those amazing bits of genius that we've seen him do last year when perhaps there wasn't quite as much pressure. And does he, you know, can he get that balance of not forcing it and not yeah. trying every time to try and be the guy that sparks something for them because they need a spark from somewhere. Yeah. Well, they've got to put it right in the hardest situation possible <laughs> away at Saracens this weekend. And we'll obviously be covering that on BT Sport 1 and 4K UHD on Sunday from 2.30.
4: Ali can travel to Surrey Sports Park to speak to coach Mark Mapletoft and Jamie Roberts at Harlequin's training session, only to discover that 45% of their squad were injured and were trainer with London Irish as a result. So we came down here this afternoon to talk
7: to Harlequins. This is Surrey Sports Park. This is their home. This is where they always are on a Tuesday afternoon. But London Irish are here. This is very, very unusual. Midweek in season for two Premiership clubs to be training together. It just doesn't happen. Can you imagine Leicester Tigers and Northampton Saints facing up to each other on a Tuesday afternoon in the middle of the Premiership season? It just does not happen. It's happening here today out of necessity because of numbers, a lack of numbers, injuries to players. There was an A-League game last night and London Irish had to fulfill that fixture. Harlequins, they're just beaten up generally. Um, Mark, talk us through this afternoon because this is unusual for Two Premiership clubs to be training on a Tuesday against each other. To the best of my knowledge, it, it's very, very rare, if not a completely. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't club. think it's
6: rare. As sorry, I don't think it's unique. In, I think um, these these guys have done it with Bath before. We've done it with Irish now, well, maybe four or five times. This season? Uh, over the last 18 months. Um, yeah, it's something we've we've found a lot of benefit
7: from actually. But in terms of the broader context of the injury situation, John Kingston just told me that you've got in the region of 25 players unavailable right now um there are other clubs who have similar numbers bath gloucester wasps they're all struggling at the moment i mean some of this is anecdotal and we're trying to read into things something that we don't quite know the answer to but in your mind is it worse than it's ever been the same better where are we
6: i think it's the worst it's ever been sort of statistically for us Uh, i think we had 45 close to 45 percent unavailable for saturday so i mean you already getting close to, I think we've got a squad of 57, but you are pretty close to, to you know, 27, 28 of those players being unavailable. Um, it just puts a, it, it for, for me, Ali, what it does is it puts a lot more emphasis on guys having to play and back up week to week and do training sessions that, that perhaps aren't quite ready and aren't at that level. So when you throw players in to having to play matches back to back and they're not used to it, they break down and we found that after two A-league games and I think something somewhere along the line has to be addressed to say look why is it like this I'm pretty sure it's, it's anecdotally it's always like this at the start of the year but I this is this is unprecedented I've never experienced this do you think the new laws have anything to do <laughs> with it
7: because we're seeing higher ball in playtime yeah. greater number of rucks greater number of collisions therefore yeah. more injuries, more tackles having to be made. This is yeah. only over the first five weeks, of course, yeah. so we're basing it off a, off a small number of, uh, of statistics. But nevertheless, the trend seems to be going that way. Is that a factor in your
6: yeah, mind? I, I definitely agree. Um, again, no statistics to back it up, but it's a bit like crashes on a motorway on a country road. I think you get more crashes on a country road, but more deaths on a motorway. Why? Because the cars are moving at a faster rate. It's what well, you have to try and somehow do get that balance right, so therefore your training at some stage has to reflect what the game's going to be, otherwise it's going to become Saturday afternoon. Wow, I didn't anticipate that.
7: What what in your mind is, is the answer or some part of the answer to this? Because it sounds, from the way you're talking and from the numbers,
6: the way they seem to be stacking up, it, it feels kind of like a crisis. Um, no, I, I think it's manageable. I think it's just got to be some common sense and things like, again, just things I've kind of looked at in the last two or three weeks so I I went to watch London Irish play against Northampton on on Sunday Um, they backed up on the Friday night against Newcastle away so they come off a game and that's taken their boys trust me, 48 hours to recover from that game they've then got to travel up to Newcastle and then play another game well is that fair on them I mean that's not me I'm not biased here this is just an observation Um, so I watch them on the Sunday I'm watching them on the TV in, in my front room on a Friday night is that common sense? I mean, for example, it takes, what, six days to turn around a HIA. So anybody HIA'd on a Sunday automatically can't play on a Friday night. Again I just think maybe in some instances maybe a bit of common sense could help us out in terms of how we manage the players. Could we somehow put a break in where players can rest and recuperate over a period of time? And again the problem is, is, when, is when is that natural gap? because there are competition, you jump from one competition to another competition, back into the league, into Europe, then it's Christmas, New Year, and everybody wants to go and watch rugby and sport at Christmas and New Year, so you're not suddenly going to do that then. So when is it? Of course, now
7: we hear that they'd like the season extended. Now, whether that would involve some breaks Hmm. or, or not, for some players, it sounds like there wouldn't be strategic breaks, but there might be opportunities perhaps for players to be managed a little better, but that's, that's the, that's the positive spin. The, the, the negative spin is, well, your season's 10 months long now, and if you're an international, it's 11. Yeah. So that leaves you one month, but then you haven't even started your pre-season. So what's your yeah. take on, on all um, that happening?
6: Headline acts are always going to cause a sort of a stir one way or the other, aren't they? Like, we'll have an extended season. Well, actually, you know, until you look at what the fundamentals of that mean. But the break stuff is important in terms of it's a mental recovery, Alex. It's not a physical one. These guys are used to going week to week to week. It's the mental, it's the mental taxation that the game brings, and I think it's again, it's it's just, a, it's it's not throwing a headline out, good, bad, or indifferent. It's it's trying to understand what is the best thing for the players, because the bottom line is, you, me, supporters, everybody wants the best players playing, don't they? In the big games, in the best competitions, you want your bet. You don't want to look and go, well, they're never going to win this because A, B, C, D and E aren't playing. That's not what we want. What is
7: the player feeling, Jamie, as to the trend of injuries? Is there a trend? I know it's early days of this season, but there do seem to be an awful lot of them. Yes to many of the high-profile players, perhaps which is drawing a few more headlines. But in your mind, is this as attritional and more so than it's ever been right now?
2: It's a tough question to ask, and uh, the, golden, the golden answer is why are there more injuries? Um, is it luck of the draw? Is it something to do with the laws? Is it the weight and size and the, the, the collisions in the sport now? Um, one thing I have noticed, I think, of the first few, the first month, is how many teams are just dumping and, and fanning in defence in on the field. They're not committing many to the tackle area, which means there's less space to attack. Um, and so, you know, well, that probably means there's more collisions, more two-man collisions, um, which is probably going to increase the r- risk of injuries. So that's something which I've noticed, and, and certainly the refs refing the game in, in favour of the attacking team. And seems teams are a bit afraid to, to poach now, aren't they? You know, the classic back row is really right in on the ball, that law that, that you have got to release. Um, first, second, third phase, a lot of teams now are, j- are just hitting and, and fanning. So. Whether that's affected it, I don't know. It's it's um, it's very hard to quantify, isn't it, the reason, the reason why.
0: Okay, so Ugo, obviously, it's been big news in the media, really. People have picked up on the fact that a lot of teams are suffering with a big number of injuries. And, yeah, 45% of the Harlequin squad, that's huge. Uh, die Young as well also saying... He's got big injury issues. We know that a lot of A-League fixtures have been cancelled. Do you think this is just an anomaly or do you think it's to do with the new laws or a bit of both? I
4: think it's a little bit of both. I guess we're five weeks into the season, so it would be clear we'll be in a far greater position to make a proper assessment of it, maybe halfway through the season, perhaps at the end of the season. But the laws have had a you know, they have really affected perhaps some of these injuries. The ball's in play for a lot longer. You're going to get more collisions. Um, you're making more tackles. And I guess if you're carrying more and making more tackles, the risk of getting injured then becomes that much greater. But also then the snowball effect is is that if you are having so many injuries and your squad's completely depleted, 45%, huge. You're then asking a lot of people to put in a lot of minutes. So where you might be able to make those substitution at 50, 60 minutes, if you're down to your third choice in a tighter position, fly off position, you may not have that confidence. So a person that maybe, so you look at Saracens that often rotate two in, one out, aren't able to do that. So you're asking a lot of people to put in a massive amount of work, and the league is that much more competitive. Every single point desperately matters this season. So games aren't being done by 60-odd minutes. You're having to go down to the wire. Everyone's having to pay that much more detail to it, and you actually talk to some of the players pre-seasons that much harder so every department in the rugby department is the most important department for s and c when they get you they're going to flog you they're going to get you as robust but being robust means you're gonna have to work tirelessly hard so these guys already come into the season perhaps slightly overworked then you're in a really tough competition you're picking up injuries because the ball's in play for a little bit longer so there's a little bit of a spiral effect
0: um, i think that because that squads are getting smaller undoubtedly wages are going up dai youngs complained about that i would say that some of the people are complaining have been responsible for the wages going up you know yeah. if you pay curtly beal 750000 and i think that the second marquee player in particular but marquee players distort the market so if you pay curtly beal 750000 and mike brown is the england physio he yeah, let, I, I don't know what Mike Brown's on but let, let's say at the time he was on £200,000 he's going to be sitting there thinking well Curtley Beal's not a half a million pound better player than me so I don't want as you know I don't expect as much as him to stay at Harlequin's because I'm not one of the marquee players but surely I deserve a bit more now if you spread that across a squad then if every player is asking, a squad of 40 is asking for 10 grand more next year, well, that's 400 grand. That's your that's your marquee player that that you can't afford to, to bring in. So I think the, the, the squad sizes have reduced. As a result, I think that does affect clubs' uh, philosophy when they're recruiting. And people that have an injury record, clubs will say, I don't know if I can take the gamble on him because there is a bit of correlation. If you've had one injury, you're more likely to get another injury down the line. So I, I think it will change that, but I also think that there's a delayed supply and demand thing in, in rugby recruitment and teams will realize they need bigger squads and they will sacrifice having some of the quality to make sure that they can cover with enough bodies on. Yes. You can bring in other players for injury dispensation during the season, but I think we will see squads start to grow again and the players' individual wages, maybe not the top guys, but some of the other guys will feel a bit left out. But that will settle amongst the 12 teams because they'll all realise they need slightly bigger squads.
4: I completely agree with your point on Was in terms of the amount of money they're having to pay. But then some of the Was' problems actually when they reposition to Coventry, and I feel that. And when they reposition, they lost their academy. And every player relies not just on bringing in quality marquee players, but actually developing academy players. So you can imagine someone like Jack Knoll at Exeter who was probably on about 40, 50 grand and then playing every single game in a season. That's great value. But Wasps, you look at their back on a Saturday, they've pretty much bought in their whole team. I mean, Haskell's there, um, uh, Joe Simpson's there, that's come from the academy, Christian Wade's there. But for the rest of these guys, and you know exactly how it is, to leave the club that you're at three, four, five years, however long it is to move to another club, you need to be paid more money. And the moment you know Kirtley Bills and 750, well, they're a rich club. And I want some of that. Maybe not 750 grand, but if I'm a 100 grand player, perhaps I can get 120 out of you. And they're having to overpay not just their top players and marquee players, but everyone right across the board.
0: And that's why I think, obviously, the top stars are are going to be wanted. But you get to a certain age, and obviously you want your contract to go up every year. So, actually, one of the reasons we might see players' careers shorten is because they'll get to a certain point where the club player almost becomes too expensive and yeah. they have to look for that bargain again. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the really clever clubs, it's not, or, or the clubs that find success, it's not necessarily based on their stars and their academy, but their ability to go out and find that guy that's not that highly rated, put him into your system and make him very highly rated. I think Exeter have done that yep. um, over the past. You know, you you look at sort of, um, you know, Traditionally, all the teams that have had long-term success, they've all been pretty good at finding people maybe in the championship or not wanted by another academy and then turning them into stars. And Wasps, you know, Joe Launchbury was one of those. Rejected the coins. You know, the the whole thing, you know, Leicester have signed Nick Malouf this year. They took a huge punt on him. Well, did they take a huge punt on him? he took a bit of a punt as well because he wasn't going to have that value of an international class winning because he'd only ever played sevens. Yep. Leicester took a chance. He's actually been one of the most consistent players. He's played every week. And, you know, he's not going to be on, on, on the same money as a Manu Tuolangi or something. So it's people like that that you can almost surprise some of the, the fans and, and the other teams with their performance that, that are the ones that are going to win you the tournament because your stars are not going to be fit every single week. Right, we've heard from Wasps, now let's listen to the best bits of Saracen's Jamie George and Alex Sanderson. Like we would uh, any other big game, you know, it's um, we never look too far ahead in the old cliché stand true with us. It's game by game. Uh, but Wasps, they beat us back end of last season, obviously got to the final. So we've, we've got some points to prove in terms of setting the record straight, we feel. There's two different sides at play as well, isn't there? Wasps who... Love to attack and love to pass and love to run and we like doing the same but we also love smashing people in defence so I guess it's going to be their kind of Galactico attacking uh, attack bat line versus this Wolfpack defence, that's how I'm building it up in today's meeting anyway. <laughs> they've been missing some key personnel like so, Woody and Cipriano is out for a while and Robson, Hughes who went off for the dead leg, all these guys we expect to be back barring Cipriano this weekend so they should be back to their full attacking strength.
8: They haven't been in the best of form and they've got a few injuries but they're still fantastic a fantastic squad. Um, you know, they'll be disappointed with how they performed last week. You know, we've done our analysis on, on how they played and um, you know, it wasn't a typical WASP performance so we're expecting them to, to uh, come back and, and really try and put on a performance and you know for us it's it's back at Allianz Park we're putting a good performance there against sales so we want to make sure that we keep continuing to progress. Um, you know, we haven't quite hit our straps yet so far this season we've still got a lot to work on so uh, we're hoping to put that on the field on Sunday. We've got a lot of respect for the way that they attack. they've got a lot of good options, a lot of good players. You look at their back line, they're just full of superstars so um you know, but with our defense, we back our defense all the time, and we like I said, we're trying to constantly evolve and take it to new levels and um you know we haven't quite got there so far this season, so we know that we need to be right on it if we're going to get a uh, a result off the back of Sunday. Um, you know, I think there is always a different edge around the training week when it's European week, because they know the importance of it. It's effectively knockout rugby from word go. So, um, it's going to be big for us. You know, you, you watch this session next week, there's going to be an added edge to it, I guess. Um, but that's what you need, you need that extra competitiveness in order for us to to be on our game. And, you know, it's going to be a huge game against Northampton next week. Third win, yeah, that w- I mean, it would mean everything. Um, you know, we're not looking too far ahead at that, you know, we've got a seriously tough group to get out of first and um, starts with Northampton away, which is a huge start in Europe. So, um, you know, a big rival of ours and we're really looking forward to that challenge and if we can progress from that into Ospreys and so on and so on, it's it's uh, it's going to be a tough one. From experience, you know, obviously Claremont are in our group this year and uh, going away to Claremont has always been very tough. You look at, you know, not many, I think they they went on an unbeaten run there for a long, long time at home. and. Um, it's a seriously tough place to go and play but um, so that's always something that we get really excited about going to hostile environments where you know we're up against it against the team and the crowd and those are stuff that we you know we relish and um, you know those are the games you definitely look forward to
4: slightly weird for Saracens this year and not from what they're doing on the pitch but I guess all the chat or the lack of chat about them, double European champions, only lost one game against Bath away, which is far from a disgrace, but there hasn't really been much chat about them at all. I mean, I guess they'll be thrilled about that, no? Yeah,
0: I I think they'll love it. I think they'll absolutely love it. Um, I think they, maybe we're not talking about them as much because some of the other teams are... Or lots of teams are performing well, you yeah. know, different teams as well, Newcastle. Um, maybe it's because Exeter did what people might have thought was impossible at the beginning yeah. of last year by, by beating them in a final. Um, but maybe it's just we've got used to that level of performance and they're going about their business. They're not setting the world on fire, but they're getting the results they need to. They don't need to peak yet. They need to peak at, at the end of the season. They're not doing anything wrong. Um, so they'll be delighted. You know, I... Again, sort of harping back to to the good old days, and and when Leicester every year, yeah, you know, the likes of Stuart Barnes used to write Leicester off, and um, say, oh yeah, this Leicester team's over the hill now. And and I remember sitting in that environment, saying, this is brilliant. Yeah. And you you got that impression, and you might lose a couple of games. Oh, they're they're done. Then and we knew we could come back. And I don't think Saracens are at right that. I don't think anyone's writing them off yeah. yet. I, I think everyone expects them to be right up there if not winning um, the, the the Premiership, then being being right at the top competing in the final. But it, it's just starting. People are getting used to what they're doing and, and, and maybe a bit of the myth has gone. But I think that'll suit them down to the ground.
4: Yeah, I think you're right. I think we're very comfortable seeing them win. And that's why we don't have to talk about them all the time because it's Old oh, Saracens won again standard. It's a little bit boring. I think with the European Champions Cup just on the horizon, when we get to travel Europe and see them against some of the best teams in Europe, I think that's when they'll start hitting the back pages once again. I think that's when, you know, they'll feel at the peak of their confidence. But they're playing well and they've got their injuries and you wouldn't know it. No one's talking about that either. But they seem to always be able to... Hey, you just look at their second row berth. Yeah. Maro with Nick Zikwe. Will Skelton yeah. George Cruz their strength and depth right across the and board Jim, and everything yeah,
0: that's, that's the key isn't it when you lose players that are important to the squad not just not just to the team and, and the performance on the field but their, their identity you know, players like Jim Hamilton yeah. and you don't miss a beat Kelly Brown you don't yeah. you don't miss a beat and that, and that's where you know you've created the, the right sort of environment that you can keep churning out quality and and um, they're still the team that everyone wants to beat, and, yeah. and they will be the team. Funnily enough, actually, I, I think you know Leicester's win against Exeter maybe just dense Exeter's. But I think people were starting to feel that about Exeter that yep. they can go anywhere and beat anyone, and, yep. and, and that will have dented them. I'm sure they'll come back strong from it. But Saracens, you you just wouldn't fancy. No. Yeah, any team wouldn't would say couldn't hand on heart say yeah we're definitely going to beat Saracens at, at our place. Yeah. Right, Ugo met up with his best mate Danny Kerr to talk about life as a parent and a little bit about rugby too, featuring some very special and very young guests who you might hear in the background. Sadis,
4: mate, being a father, having a family, settled life, I mean, how do you think that's affected your game?
3: How has it changed it? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me, it, it puts everything in perspective. You know, you go to train, you have a bad day or you... You lose a game, um, you come home and he doesn't care if you, if you win or lose, he just wants a cuddle from his dad. and um, This uh, puts everything in perspective, it makes it more of a purpose of why you want to go out there and, uh, and make people proud. And
4: That's it mate, um, you scored the first ever try in European Champions Cup
3: history, do you know that? I did know that. Yeah, we played the cast. first game, didn't we? Cast. Yeah.
4: I watched that game on TV. Do you remember how you celebrated? A little point to a little point to Jody. So that was a real special week for you because you had a baby, scored the first ever try, and um, what were your memories
3: from that day? Yeah, obviously uh, Friday night game, um, and kind of, we kind of weren't really aware at the time of, of his first try, but then afterwards someone said, "Oh, you know, that's the first try in European Champions Cup history." I was like, "Oh, that's Pretty cool. I think I was offside, to be honest. I got, I got, <laughs> I got away with it, but um, no, it was pretty special. And obviously, Blake had just been um, just been born, and uh, yeah, pretty special moment.
4: Mate, you've adopted another baby this year. Um, a little bit older than Blake. He's 18, and he's playing outside of you, Marcus Smith. Um, He's probably not as hard work as Blake, surely. But um, what's it like to play with him?
3: They've got similar tendencies, mate. They both <laughs> they both shout a lot. Uh, now he's uh, he's been he's been a breath of fresh air, mate. It's it's amazing to see um, an 18-year-old, fresh out of school, just on his A-levels, and to play with the maturity that that he has and the heart that he plays with. He he takes the ball to the line. He get he gets belted and people are running at him. Um, but he. <laughs> He sticks his head in where it hurts, and um, and he's a leader. I think the main thing with with young tens, you've I've seen a lot of them, but for him, he he dominates the the game with his with his talk. And oh
4: my! Oh my, Bucky, yeah. oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh!
3: Oh, that's a proper. Bucky, yeah. Hang on, Blake, because Phoenix has been sick.
4: I'm to, Oh my gosh! I mean, where's that sick come from? Like, you couldn't script this. Could oh you? my! We good um so unfortunately phoenix uh, didn't want to take part in this second bit of this uh, of this interview um i'm not sure whether it's our chat or whether she's camera shy but no she's just been weaned onto food and uh, there's the evidence of how much she enjoys my cooking but anyway off phoenix and back to you Daddy. so um spoke a little bit about quinn's Marcus smith you were just saying just you know a great leader's playing some really good rugby but um let's move on to england so you and Ben Youngs, you you two really are the mainstays in that England team. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I think since March 2013, you and Ben, there's only been three tests played without you and Ben Youngs in in the England team. Wow. Does that surprise you?
3: Yeah, the amount of times I think I've been dropped. <laughs> <laughs> that does uh, surprise me a bit. Uh, now, obviously, me and Youngs, you've had a good a good rivalry for a good few years now. <laughs> Like, yeah, we've obviously had a good rivalry. It's, it's a friendly rivalry between me and youngsey. We get on really well on and off the pitch and um him being so good makes me uh try even harder and know that you know we both want to play and um you obviously want to play as many times as you can and start as many games as you can and um it's obviously a great rivalry with him over the years and hopefully we've got a few more years left.
4: So Friday night. Massive game so Harlequins haven't gone so well in the last couple of weeks It's not do or die, but how important is this game for Harlequins?
3: Yeah, it's a a huge game for us. We uh, Don't say we're desperate for a win, but we really could do with one. Uh, You know, we sat here after five games lost three and and only won two and generally thinking that um, with a bit more accuracy from us and a bit of better play, we we honestly could be sat here with five wins and uh obviously going to Wasp was a great a great victory for us. We went to Northampton last week, a team that hadn't lost there for ten months and we came away very disappointed that we didn't take 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 the four points and um you know, we're not far off where we wanna be, but you know what it's like when things don't quite go your way. Um you maybe force it a little bit more and you know, we, we're looking forward to Friday night. Sailor on a roll at the moment, they're playing some really good stuff, just put fifty on Gloucester. Um, we know they're gonna come down full of confidence. So yeah, a bit of a
4: hectic interview there with that, as you can see, <laughs> lots of interruptions. I finally just recovered about it, but I guess um more importantly, let's talk about Harlequins. Um they've been out of Europe for the last three years, they find themselves back in. Is it is it great timing for them to be back in, considering they haven't had a great start to the season? Forty-five percent of their in, um, sort of their squad, are depleted now to injury. Europe's not getting any easier, is it?
0: No, it's not. I think this weekend is important to them. The, the quality of the performance. Uh, what have they been like this year? Terrible first weekend. Put that down to rustiness. Actually, came back really well from it. Looked very strong. The Leicester game that they lost. Let's be honest, that could have gone either way yeah. right up till the 80th minute. And if they win that, everyone's saying, oh, Harlequins look great. So we're just questioning them a little bit because it's that inconsistency and in the ability to close out games and and the injury thing. And, and yeah. I guess, and well, you'd know better than me. To, would John Kingston be the sort of manager that, that said, right, we 100% target every Saturday or... What's what's his goal this year, to finish high up in the Premiership or to go a long way in Europe? Or is it just we've got to compete on at all fronts?
4: It, it, it's a strange one because if sport was played on paper, then Quins would be there or thereabouts every single year. Mm. You know, they're starting 15s as good as most. You know, look at the likes of your Danny Cares, your Jamie Roberts, your Yards, your Visser, um, who's not even making yeah. the squad at the minute. Um, almost a Lions front row quality right throughout the team robshaw in the back row clifford so they've got a quality team um it's been five years since they've won anything um and i think for every year that passes that pressure you know just grows that much more i think the fans are a little bit frustrated um still living a little bit in the conor o'shea era because that's the last time that was anything that was won john kinks has been there for a long time a brilliant operator very intelligent and I reckon he's probably starting to feel a bit of the pressure as yeah. well. Um, last year was a bedding in period. He's now got a squad which really resembles a squad that he wants. And I like the makeup of it. But what would constitute, a, you know, a decent return? And I think bare minimum, they have to be top four. Yeah. Europe um, started the a season. They're just said quarterfinals. But where they are now, five weeks into the season, with half a squad injured, I don't know. I I, I really don't know. Um you know, we're talking about the most examining league in the world and one of the toughest competitions in the world back-to-back and yeah. you're trying to straddle both competitions within a season with half your players missing. I don't know what's achievable. I don't know what they'd consider acceptable. But certainly in a bit of a spot, and I don't want to come across negative. You
0: know, this is this is just the reality of their situation. Yeah, it's hard for you. It is hard for you because, I mean, one of the things that that maybe, do you think, I know they've brought Graham Rowntree in, you look at the coaching staff and they've traditionally always been promoted from the ranks of player at Quinn. So they've never really seen other environments apart from maybe their international environment or if they've been at other clubs. And I, I, I don't know. I, I I quite like that. I love the fact that a club keeps hold of their own and they make sure that, you know, one generation's pa- passed to the next. But if you haven't had that success for a while, and you look at some of the clubs that have done it successfully. and you know, Saracens, let's take Saracens, they have promoted from within, but they bought Mark McCall in from the outside and, and then they they brought their coaches through with his way of doing things. Do you think maybe they just need a little bit of external sort of creativity or or a different approach?
4: Um yeah, on one on one hand it's great to see clubs looking after players when when they've retired and it's not a jobs for all. It's because they're good enough. But I do take your point, and I think is a real valid point that I guess Nick Evans and Nick Easter will only coach in a way in which they've always known as a player, both their 10 plus years. Um, I think it I think it would massively help Harlequins to have someone in wherever it might be from Southern Hemisphere could be anywhere in Europe who just looks at Quins at face value use their experiences from the clubs or the unions that they've worked with and just added a bit of extra detail i guess their outside influences apart from their coaches would just be their psychologist who's you know dislocated from the, the rugby yeah. department and he has quite a holistic obviously approach to, to how he sees it week by week but from a hands-on playing department they don't have that uh john kingston mark mapletoff um colin osborne um, Graham Roundtree now. I mean, I guess he's the only one who's slightly fresh, but the rest of them have been part of this Harlequins machine as a player or as a coach for their whole life. And sometimes you can be quite insular. I've I've certainly found that since retiring, Um, hey, it everything Quinns, you know, and doesn't matter what they're doing, we're doing it right. But now I've retired, it gives you quite a kaleidoscopical view as to the premiership and you can appreciate what Leicester are doing really well or Saracens or Bath and this and that and I think it's really important to have someone else come in just to open your horizons and perhaps challenge challenge the way certain things work
0: It's they're probably the funniest club in that it wouldn't surprise you to see them doing really well in the top four but equally it wouldn't surprise you to see them some, something go wrong during the season and just start to get on one of those roles that we we're talking about WASP before that they just start to struggle they can't get out of it
4: and I, and I can't put my finger on it I spoke spoke to the players and um, I don't think they can too it's it, it, it's weird because you know, I just mentioned some of the players there and they're all quality players very good team they're well coached you know like every team would confess to well coached. we work really hard blah 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 but I but whenever you see and you've just pointed out there, you know, if Quinns were to win the premiership, so well, you know, they've got a good squad, if they weren't to, if they're out in the top six you're not overly surprised. Um, you know, that Leicester game which which they lost, you know, that was a that was a big blow and that's frustrating because every premiership campaign's built on home home form. But I didn't speak to anyone after that game was that, that was like, Oh my gosh, what well, Quinns? They they lost and they were ten points up with thirty to go. And I think that's probably the frustration and that's that intangible thing which they've got to work out what it is and how to beat that out of their system to be not be, to not be seen and certainly not be that inconsistent team.
0: Right, well, if you fancy yourself as a bit of a pundit, you can play along with the new BT Sport Predictor game for free where you can guess the scores from each weekend's of Premiership matches. For more details and full terms and conditions, go to btsport.com forward slash predictor. Right. Let's do a a bit of our pre-prep for our predictions this week. Okay. Friday night. We've just been talking about them. Harlequins at home to Sale. 7pm BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD. How do you see this one panning out?
4: I can only see a Harlequins victory. I really can. Um, Sale impressive at the weekend. They're very good. The most amount of points they've scored in in over a decade. Um, But I've gone through the video because um, I wanted to know how they scored their tries, and was it good defence, good attack? It was a bit of a mixture of both. Gloucester would be absolutely disappointed yeah. how they attacked. Gifted three intercept tries, really poor, really sloppy. Harlequins would be hurting. Um, they had opportunities to win up at, up at Northampton, a tough place to go. It's so important. It's not critical, but I think you're getting as near as critical as you can get. But to come back home and to pick up a loss would be yeah. massive. I think they'll be, um, despite Carl Sinclair and all those kind of sideshows they've had this week, the injuries, I can see them putting together a really good performance. I think Harlequins will win.
0: I agree with you on that one. I just can't, haven't seen enough from Sale to think that they can go away from home. But again, we wouldn't be surprised. Um, Your old team, London Irish Leicester. London, doesn't Mount, get any easier than it, for Irish, does it? Well, it doesn't. Um, totally different atmosphere. At Well for uh, um, Oval Park training ground this week because of the win against Exeter that was massive. They, I think it it would have dented them enormously if they'd lost yeah. at home. They didn't beat any of the top three teams uh, last year at all. Leicester, um, so it was vital for setting their stall out. Disappointing start to the season. They feel they're back on track, and they feel that London Irish is an opportunity. They're not taking it lightly, obviously, because you're a fool to do that in the Premiership. But they think that. They can, they can go down and back up that performance. Now, London Irish, you get the impression, for me, that it's that confidence thing. For a good first 20 minutes, get themselves back into it, but they will have in the back of their mind that question mark that are we good enough to play at this level? We had a brilliant first weekend, but since then we've looked outclassed it.
4: Yeah, I agree with you. The only game where ha- sorry, London Irish have done well was against Harlequins. And that's because they were in the game for 18 minutes. Every other game, so the four rounds after that, they've just not been in the game for long enough. They started so poorly. We saw it. We were doing that game at Newcastle. so, And also from a Leicester point of view, I think emotionally, psychologically, after such a big result at home, I think the best place to go is away. Because you're not relying on the crowd. Yeah. You're not relying on the fact that the ref may give you that 50-50. You're going away. Let's face it, the Majeski is not going to be 25,000 people there. The ref might not be on your side. So it's just you and the 14 other guys on the pitch that have to do the job. It always narrows your focus that much more when you go away from home. For London Irish, they've got to start well. Because if they stay in the game, they've got enough character, they've got enough heart... We know they're always good in the last 20, but that's often because they've been forced to chase the game. But I do feel this game um, should 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 be comfortable I, for Leicester. I think
0: Leicester will win it. Uh, the one thing that London Irish need to do for me is to... They need to build to have the right to use their star players. At the moment, they're just trying to get the ball to Lewington and everyone just drifts across with the loopy pass. Or yeah. Marshall's trying to do everything on his own. Marshall needs to... He's got wonderful talent. He's a, he's a great break player, but he needs a bit of game control. If they yeah. do that, they've got an opportunity. Right, If we that's our BT Sport 1 and 4K UHD game, 2.30 on Saturday. Uh, if we run through the games that aren't televised on Saturday, quick fire answers. Bath v. Wastorugo. Bath. Exeter versus Newcastle. Exeter reaction, yeah. Yeah, Gloucester versus Northampton. <sighs> Gloucester need Toss that win, don't coin. they? Um, I'm
4: going to say Northampton. But that's
0: that. not locked in on the yeah, app. Yeah, I think. The way. No, I haven't knocked <laughs> it in. That's one thing, actually. You've got to check the teams. Because with these injuries, it makes a significant difference. Um, So I agree with you on that, all those. Right, the big game, Sunday, Allianz Park, 2.30pm, BT Sport 1 and 4K UHD. Saracens against Wasps. Are you going to be brave and bet against Saracens?
4: I'm not. Every weekend, what we've seen is one anomaly right throughout the fixture list. There's always been that one game which you just wouldn't have called. I haven't got six out of six this season at all. Um, I'm happy to admit that. I don't think this game's going to be that one anomaly. I just don't see it being that. Um, It could potentially be one of the others. I don't think it's going to be Worcester Bath. But Saracens have been strong. They look very good. They've got a pretty fit squad. Um, And at home, they don't really lose many games. They're Wasps. You know, their season's going from pretty average to to worse. And uh, I, I can't imagine that they're going to get much comfort at Allianz Park.
0: I think I've got to agree with you on that one which is very boring (laughs) there we go Um, but obviously as I said you can all see what we actually go for btsport.com forward slash predictor and you can play along too right thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast make sure you listen again next week when we'll be joined by Brian O'Driscoll
4: and remember to subscribe to the pod so it's delivered straight away to your device every Thursday I hope you've enjoyed listening please give us a five star rating and positive review on iTunes see you for now